Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is David Frangioni, CEO and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine, Modern Drummer Media, and Modern Drummer Publications. So excited about our new podcast, The Modern Drummer Podcast. This weekly podcast will bring Modern Drummer to life. Sit back and enjoy fresh, fun, and insightful conversations with today's top drummers, producers, musicians, beat makers, and craftsmen. Whether you're a professional, a hobbyist, drummer, musician, programmer, producer, or just love music, this show is for you. Every other week, the Modern Drummer Podcast will feature world-renowned producer, songwriter, and drummer, Narda Michael Walden. Narda Michael Walden's Upbeat is featured exclusively on the Modern Drummer Podcast. Gregorico! Look at the dude. How are you? Narda, give the drummer some Walden. <laughs> I love you, Greg. Love you too, man. I'm burning this candle in your honor because the fire you lit in my life. Thank you, my friend. When I first heard you and Sly and the Family Stone, it was revolutionary, not only to me, brother, but to the whole world. That was and, and that fire still burns in me. And I look around my room, I see Prince, who you created. Yeah. Uh, I see Carlos, who loves you, yeah. right along with you. Yeah. I see Aretha Franklin, who was moved by you and wanted to be down with the funk revolution, which you all went crazy on. And by her. Yes. I see Muhammad Ali who danced to your music. <laughs> I see Whitney Houston who jammed to your music. I see James Brown. I see Ray Charles who also re-inspired by your music. Yeah. So, Greg, thank you on the stage for being with us. I just want to just thank you for being here. And I want to give you the floor for whatever you want to say to welcome us first today. Well, it's my, my pleasure to be here, brother. And you are, uh, you have been a reflection of inspiration back to me at times during my life. I can remember moments talking to you during, you know, uh, times that were less, less, less active and you got in my ear and said, man, you know, keep on doing what you did. And yeah. So yes. I do what I can, you know? Yes, brother. Yeah. So Greg, let me ask you, man, as a drummer, 
you are really um, a pioneer. I hope that's the right way to say it because what you stumble upon is yeah. magic to this day. Well, you know, it's it's just uh, being you know, at the right place, right time, and just also just uh, inspiration from inside. Just it was there. I mean, I I want I loved drums from being a kid, from when I was a little kid. I wanted to get a drum set so bad, and play. Yeah. I just, just gravitated to it. Yeah, the sound, the look, and I listened as I was a kid growing up to a lot of different kinds of music. Growing up in the Bay Area, it being an international intersection, right? And uh, so around the house, my folks didn't want any any of that noise, you know. And so I did I didn't have like support in that manner. So it wasn't until I was 14 that I got, I saved up some money and I bought a kit. And then I started immediately playing with some older guys that lived in the neighborhood, like beer joints and stuff like that, 15 years old. And then I met Freddie, Sly's brother, at 16 through Leon Batilla. Leon Batilla. Right. Who later on sang with uh, Carlton Santana. And, um, and then me and Freddie started a band called Freddie and the Stone Souls. And wow. that went about a year. And then Sly was on the radio at the time. He had a radio show. Fantastic radio show. Yeah. Very creative and innovative and out of the box, man. And yeah. good, hippest stuff. <clears throat> and then so he had made a few swipes at starting a group. It didn't work for him. And he was going to make uh, one last attempt with just really doing what he was feeling inside, which was different. Okay. And, um, and so I showed up for a rehearsal one day for the group. I was in with Freddie at Fly's house. Cause I think I lived there with the folks and we rehearsed downstairs <clears throat> and they announced at that moment that we're starting a new group tonight. You know, you win, you know, they were messing with me because they didn't tell me about this, this plan. Right. Uh-huh. So I, so I said, sure. And that's the night, December of 1966, that we all met for the first time. Okay. We just talked. No one even, we didn't even play that night. That okay. Time. Okay. We started the next the next night and we rehearsed for a week and, and started gigging. But it was just so unique. I mean, we all were just like fascinated by the idea and just the presence of each one of us. It, 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 it was a magic there from 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 the get-go. Greg, let me ask you, if I mind to pause you. Yeah. This is the time when you were first meeting Sly, correct? Well, I had met him uh, because we did some gigs together, Freddie and the Stone Souls, and Sly had the Mojo Man. Okay. And we had to do a few gigs, you know, so I met him just casually. And when Sly was ready to make the move, he, he came to his brother and he says, bring someone from your group. Okay. And he said, I want to bring Greg. Okay. And, and so, I mean, it was just that simple. Well, what I'm trying to get to is when Sly was with the Mojo Men and you first saw him with his with that, that band, when you first, first saw him musically, is what I'm trying to get to, what hit you musically when you first saw him play? It wasn't what he was doing yet. Okay. It's what you seen if, you know, you had any kind of intuition at all or anything. I mean, you could see that this, you know, I mean, you listen to his radio show. He was like, here's where he was. He'd be on, he'd, he'd sing commercials sometimes or the weather. He had a piano in the studio and he would play 
sometimes and do happy birthdays. People would call in, you know, it's my man's birthday, it's my woman's birthday. And he would do stuff like, um, so one day he's sitting, I think he was doing a commercial, doing the news. And he, and, you know, he's at the, the microphones there, you know, at the booth at the radio station. And he looks down, there's a wastebasket right there. And he's looking and he sees Ray Charles. Yeah. And he looks and it says, let's go get stoned. Yeah. What's that doing in there? Mm-hmm. Bends over, pulls it out. And while something else was going on, he puts it on, spins it. He goes, oh, I'm playing this. Right. You know, right. Something the program during whatever, someone, you know, passed on it. And uh, the Bob Dylan tent, right? Yeah. And he put that on. He goes, no, 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 no. We're playing this. And he, <laughs> broke, he broke that record right there in that seat, meaning right. that they went right. on, got added, so on and so forth. You know, and he was good friends with uh, Tom Donahue, who's the godfather of FM radio and AOR radio, as you know. He right. started the format. Yes. Worldwide, actually, beyond the country. And Tom Donahue with Bobby Mitchell. So he had worked for them producing Bobby Freeman. This yes. Year. Yes. Great records. He had a track record of yeah. things, you know. Yeah. But nothing... But it was just like you could see the potential. You could, this, he was so talented. I mean, he could play everything, you know. I mean, so just the thought of um, the writing chops weren't all the way developed. Although he did, write, you know, write to swim and he he produced um, uh, uh, um, the Buer Brummels. Grace Slick, yeah, Buer Brummel and Grace Slick and the uh, what, what was it called? Something Society. Mm-hmm. This was before Jefferson Airplane. Okay. And then the Bull Brummels yeah. and for for uh, Rich Romanello, who yes. owned a place called the Winchester Cathedral, who was our first manager. That's the first place we went to play. Okay. We'd play there after hours. So, I mean, you could see all the potential in, in the Bay Area. San Francisco yeah. was just, it was like a pimple ready to pop. I mean, it was yeah. always all this unique, different talent. Nothing came out of here, though. It was all New York. Or Los Angeles, that's okay. where, where okay. the business was, you know, right, that's where right. you went and you got into it. Right. Nothing, San Francisco was off the map still, but the talent and the inspiration and the magic was here, you know, ready to be seen. And yes. Then, you know, the rest is shortly after that. Right. What happened, what became of uh, the San Francisco sound and all the bands and musics that came out of here was all different. You know, it was all right. in place. It's incredible. I want to kind of move a little bit forward to, I would be in Plainwell, Michigan, and there was a TV show, a mm-hmm. national TV show, mm-hmm. and it became the Battle of the Bands. And for people where I live, where I live, it was a big deal because here it had, it had whittled down to the Chambers Brothers oh, yeah. against Sly and the Family Stone as who would be the best band in America. We all had to watch that show. Do you I remember that? I remember. I have it. <laughs> I remember we were playing in New York City at a place called um uh oh geez, what was that? I can't think of the name, but we're going we're talking <laughs> we're like age away, man. I just I turned seventy two, brother. You yeah, know? I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, so the electric circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the village. Okay. Used to hang, you know, Jimmy used to hang out with us. And there, and I mean, it was a great, it was right around the corner, actually, for Bill Graham's film Maurice. Okay. Later on. Okay. 
and so we were playing there, and it, all of a sudden, this happened real quick. We got to do this gig. We got to fly, and we had we were supposed to play that night again back in New York City, but we arranged to, to fly out and come back, which it ended up being uh, there was a storm and we couldn't land, and, and we did make the gig eventually. But we were late, and it was chaotic. But I remember going there. Uh, I remember doing the show. And like I said, I got a cop. I got a video of it too, and um, and we won like ten thousand dollars or something. Yeah, it, was it was a big deal. Yeah, and they a- were our buds too. We used to do gigs, a few gigs together, you know. And then all of a sudden, we're in this contest. You know, it was just no. <laughs> I thought that was a great a title to be able to say the best band in, in America. I mean. America had, America had some badass bands, so to be the best band was like, damn. I didn't even know that, you know. Yes, you know. Yeah, you were, you were the best band in America, and then of course we saw you like that. Yeah. Can you see this? Yeah. And, and your then, shoulder, and your shoulder would always be up, be up like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk, tell me, how did you develop this style of playing, Greg? Talk to me about your style. I didn't, you know, I'm self-taught, so. Everything I did would just came from feeling it. Okay. And uh, so I, I, mean, I didn't have no any technique in the beginning. I practiced and stuff, but I didn't know, I mean, any rudiments or anything. I went and learned that later on after I did. Matter of fact, you yeah. were the first one to tell me, hey, Greg, 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 uh, that song, uh, you can make it if you try it. Man, that thing you do, that paradiddle you do between your, your foot and the left hand. Yeah. What paradiddle? And you go, yeah, that's a, but you're doing a paradiddle. I yeah. go, you know, I never thought about that. It, you know, for me, it was very obvious that you were like taking rudiments. I mean, just dark rudiments and bringing them into the into the hood yeah. where it was now. You know, swinging. It's like, yeah. damn, this is the only guy I've heard take just dead up dead up rudiments and make them hits. Well, no you, one else had done that. No if, one else had done that, man. If you think about uh, drumming and rhythms and where that comes from, that's a very humanistic deep yeah, yeah. way back. I mean, I, I really believe that uh, actually rhythm and drumming, percussion was one of the first human languages. Yeah. And I, 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 where I'm coming from is if you go back and to where there were tribes right. and how one tribe communicated with the other, Right. Before language, and I'm going, I'm talking way back. Yeah. It was either smoke or banging on something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by those rhythms, you could kind of feel whether they're having a celebration mm-hmm. or they're having a barbecue mm-hmm. or they can barbecue you. That's you know? right. That's right. You know? Okay. So my point was that rudiments started from, they didn't come from, there's no, you know, not from books. I mean, you know, fast forward into the future and as things move on and, and, and people start becoming, you know, really into their craft. And when books start being read, read and rudiments and music started being notated and all that, you know, those rudiments came from somewhere first were written down had somewhere, someone did it. Yes. And all things that are inside of us. Yes. So, you know, you go down and listen to the rhythms, you know, coming from Africa and down in the in the islands and all that stuff, where most of that came from Africa, you know. Uh, you know, the, you'll you'll find a trail of these yeah. things we call yeah. rudiments, you know. Yes. 
Greg, man, I saw, I've seen you live only once back at that time. It would be during the time of like either 69 going towards 70, maybe 69, at, at a peak of sound where I saw you in a, like an amphitheater in Chicago where the, where the amphitheater would kind of go up. You would be down and we'd be going sitting up looking down upon you. And the sound was massive. It was so together. It's yeah. fine at Family Stone. But one moment as prison on my brain where Larry hits a pedal and the sound in the whole place was like deep, deep bass. A thing we had never heard. It was a fuzz tone, but fuzz deeper tone. than anything we ever heard with you on the drums going at it. Yeah. And I was like, it was revolutionary. We had never seen anything like it. No. It was not just fine anymore. It was you and Larry. Yeah. What you guys made was just like like bread and butter that we had to have. We had a wonderful chemistry. Right? Yes. Speak about that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we never, uh, we didn't discuss or sit down and game plan on any of that stuff we did. It was just, we had a good chemistry. We never talked about it. And we just did it together. Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, you know, then later on in, when people started talking about them, we realized we had a thing going on. We left it alone. We didn't go, oh, you know, and, and start trying to figure it out. No, stay out of. We stayed out of its way, and it was wonderful and powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you know, we just did it, and you felt that okay, this isn't broke. Let's don't fix this. Mm -hmm. How instrumental was Sly with um, the, the drum parts that he might want you to play on different songs? Well, there were we. we there was times where there was something that he was hearing that he was sick or even, you know, play this. And there were times that we, we even argued sometimes. Uh -huh. Sometimes I got it. Sometimes he got it. Okay. We had a pretty natural feel, uh, especially after we kind of developed our sound. It was pretty like didn't need much discussion, you know? Right. And uh, like, for instance, thank you, which is a, Powerful, funky track. Right? Yes, right. So there are, I could play you 10 versions that have nothing to do with each other. In other words, that song, he was really, he was really digging for something and hearing something. When we finally got the basic track, he said, uh, I'm going to take off for about two weeks. You ain't going to see me. I'm going to the studio. And when I come out, I know I'm going to bring what I'm hearing. Okay. And he did. He disappeared for a couple of weeks, went in the studio and put all his guitar parts and, you know, the three, two guitar parts and bass part. And when he came out and he played that for me, I just got goosebumps, man. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. But I mean, as the developing, the morphine of that, of that track was, it's, was all over the place. Yes. But it found its way. Oh, genius. Absolute genius. Another thing I did not know until you told me recently, which I think is mind blowing, so much of the things that you did that are historical were things you actually would record, but then over it up again. Well, uh, so here's how that went on all the singles, not the album cuts, but okay. our singles over right. the over the time of our songbook. Right. Um, I we you know cut the tracks, you know go in they'd go over the vocals and do horn parts and all that, and then the last thing. Would, that would be done before mixing is I'd go back in, put some cans on. There was no drum machine or click tracks back then. Put some cans on and record the drums again. Because sometimes this new 
arrangement or new feel or even. I mean, the, the song had morphed, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, every one of them. Thank yeah. you. Hot fun in the summertime, everyday people. Uh, Sex Machine was one, the only album cut that I did because I, because I overdubbed the drum solo at the end. But I think I did the whole track again, too, because I remember I remember cutting it uh, and, you know, doing that that shuffle in there. I can remember doing that over. That's the only album cut. The rest were all original tracks. But the singles, I would record the drums as the last thing again and just really tune in onto the verses, the choruses, the, the breakdowns, whatever, whatever, you know, it required. Yes. And then they'd mix it. Greg, there's so much made of like a Jeff Picard on his feel on say like Rosanna or things that he that he does because of his feel. But when you look at the feel of like hot fun in the summertime, it's so brilliant. Your feel. Yeah. I mean, we don't talk about it. We we that's why I'm talking to you right now. Your feel, what comes out of your heart, is so magical. Yeah. Speak about hot fun, man. You know, look what I was surrounded with. Yes. Yes. And Sly and Freddie, I mean, you know, but uh, actually Jeff Carl mentioning that, Jeff did talk about Hot Fun, uh, and, and you know, he talked about that song, and it, he was thinking that, that was inspiring him more he did. See, I'm right. There's a connection. I can feel it. I can oh, feel it. The way you hit your stairs and the little sweet things inside there. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. God, man, what a life. What a life. What a life. Well. I, I have a few things I want to touch upon because it's just so monumental. Woodstock, just say something about Woodstock, anything you want. Woodstock was a one-of-a-kind event, a very special event. That's why people are still talking about it. Feel yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. From it. You were at Woodstock? Yeah. Oh, you're going to tell me about that. And it's just, it, it has that for uh, just people hearing about it and just seeing the film or listening to the, the album. Because you could feel this magical moment in time that existed there. I mean, and from the moment we, um, you, we came in in a helicopter because the roads were blocked and we couldn't get in. So I remember coming over, over the hill. I was in one of those army helicopters, those big beluga thing with no. It had a, there was no wall. It was just a, a fiberglass strap. Frightening <laughs> as hell. Right. Anyway, so we're coming in. And I could see. I didn't even know what it was. I seen this kind of a haze, uh, and all this. It's people. First part mm-hmm. you could see, yeah, you know? mm-hmm. and you could feel it landing. Mm-hmm. You could smell it. You could feel it. And I walked around a little just to check it out and feel the vibe. It was just amazing. I mean, everything about it. It, it, it touched it. But, you know, a lot of people didn't want to do that. Uh, right. so, because at the time, um, outdoor festivals weren't fun. Mm-hmm. Production is not like it exists today, back then. You know, there's no tarps over, you know, so you could get rained on or the sun's beating you and it's dusty, windy, raining, all the elements. Sound wasn't that good, you know. Uh, the sound was big there, but the monitor systems, you know. They weren't. Matter of fact, in those days, I we all had like part of our sound was because we used big sound. We got our own sound on stage. We brought it with us. Our amps. Right, right. Like Larry had like eight. Uh, I forgot what he was using at the time. Like 
I had two dual showmans and a shore microphone just for my bass drum. Whoa! Yeah, so, because Sly said, I want to hear that bass drum. Okay, so this is what I did. So I brought that. So it didn't matter how the system fell short. On stage, we were pushing air. Wow, I love hearing this. And I put that right, I put the mic uh, on the front side, on the kick side. So I got the snare and the kick too. Wow. So, you know, you could hear it on stage and everybody could, you know, so that we created that train sometimes. What about just, your hearing for the for the band? I mean, were you able to always hear the, no. the band? Well, I could hear, you know, I mean, I could hear Larry. Okay. So we're locked. I usually could hear his, his Leslie's, he had eight, I think, stacked up right on both sides of me, you know. So, you know, we made sure that we heard each other and we heard what, enough. Sometimes I couldn't hear the horns, maybe, unless they were, you know, or even the vocals that much. You know, like I'm hearing ambience from the side fills or something. Like I said, the monitor systems weren't like they are now, you know. Yeah, that's right. The is now, so I can hear everything, low volume. How about your energy? Were you were you huffing and puffing because you gave so much? Was that was that, uh, well, you know got, like acceleration of of height? Well, when we get off stage, we lost five pounds. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Larry and I were always dripping wet. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. The way it was. That's right. You know, it was just high energy. I mean, when you went in, uh, I, have you ever seen the? Um, I think it's Mount Herman, Mount Vernon, in 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 Harlem, at that outdoor park. We did it just around the same time as Woodstock. No, I don't know that one. Uh, you know, Questlove is doing a, uh, he's directing a movie, and okay. it's called The Black Woodstock. And it's okay. That show. I got video of it off the show to you. Okay. Very cool. And Slyna, this was shortly after Woodstock, and uh, it's pretty interesting to see, to just see how this thing unfolds, like with the crowd you know, we had already played the Apollo, I think, once or twice, but this was like fifteen, twenty thousand, you know, people from Harlem were there to see this, and they came to check us out. That's right. That's right. See, I mean, it's just so interesting. And then uh, with, um, you know, it was hard, hardcore, mm-hmm. but. We, you know, we knew what we were going to do with the audience because this is what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, there was it's, no black and white. There was no, you know, it's just people and it's just fundamental music. Is oh. this the same festival that Jimi Hendrix played as well? No, he didn't. But uh, I, I, I didn't know at the time. But I come to find out that that went on for a couple weekends, and like I think it was, I think Aretha played there and mm-hmm. Ray Charles, and there's all kinds of people. And I you know, I bet it was, you know, it was just this one day. Uh, but it's, it's it's pretty cool. I'm interested to see uh, whatever it does with it. It's a great, great performance. And I want to speak about another... It, an, an interesting social thing, too. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Good. I want to speak about the, the social side of things, because at that time, you were an inter- interracial band playing such heavy funk music. Mm-hmm. To a lot of us, it was like, Wow. They, they've, they've come together. They, they're showing the unity of America, the best of America. You look at a shot like this, it shows you guys, you know, coming together. And then I want to ask something that's, that's going to be kind of radical. At that time, you put out a song called 
don't call me nigger whitey, don't call me whitey nigger, to, yeah. to break down the stereotypes, to just crash it. Yeah. Speak about it, because here we are now in 2020, still dealing with racism. It's unbelievable. Maybe even worse than it was then, you know, in some ways. Uh, it was, well, that night that we got together in December of 1966, I'm telling you, was when we, you know, we all looked at each other in the room. Man, well, this, is, this is interesting. And at that time, there were racial challenges going on, social things, you know, the war, Vietnam, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and we're going to put together males, females, and black and white. And everyone's telling us, you can't do that. I mean, when we met that night for the first time, uh, there was no thought about you can't. There was no challenge about this ain't going to work or anything. We we could feel it. We hadn't played a note yet. Mm-hmm. You could feel it. You know? mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we took the challenge and brought it. Brought a statement that was really cool, really mm-hmm. powerful. And, yes. you know, I think it's still, uh, you know, along with, with Sly's writing group, to, and the statement that the band made, especially at that time, you know, it's it's still when when people are exposed to it again, they get it. It's yes. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this, I got to think about this. Yes. You know, I have to just tell you, brother, that so much of what you've done with that band, as much as James Brown's music has done, as much as Ray Charles' music has done. Yeah. The music of Sly and the Family Stone is part of our fabric to the core. To the core. And I just want this moment to just not only thank you, but but thank you. Because uh, it's because of you and people who are like you that I'm able to sit here today and and be here. Well, that's I, gotta, I gotta say it. I just gotta say it. That's inspiring yeah. to hear that coming from you, who, yeah. who's cut himself a, a, a pretty large path and uh, impressive and, and done a lot of music and a lot of great people. And, and a lot of the artists you ended up working with are some of the ones I listened to in the early days that inspired me. And um, uh, thank you back. Yeah. Okay, two, two things I want to touch upon. One, you play in the Haleakala Creator with Neil Sean. And is it Dougie Rouch on bass or somebody hot on bass? No. I forget who it was. Uh, well, we did two shows. We did a, a live uh, album with Santana, with, yeah. with uh, myself and Buddy Miles. Playing. Yep. And, uh, staggering, was, by the way, staggering, staggering, staggering. That's the first time I heard Neil Sean with you guys. Staggering. Neil Damn. So then uh, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was the year before. I think it was the year before maybe. Or maybe the year after, 72 or 73, Neil and I had a trio, and the bass player was Pete Sears. Okay. Um, okay. Pete Sears, who actually played keyboards with, uh, uh, he was with um, um, Jefferson Starship, the Starship band. Well, he played Starship, he played bass most, mostly with the Starship. Anyway, we had a trio, it was a crazy, just the energy was just, it was explosive trio, and we, couldn't find a singer. Matter of fact, I remember we called, we tried to get a hold of Stevie Winwood from a phone booth 
<laughs> and we tried, you know, reaching out to different people. It just was, uh, it would have been cool if we would have had got a good singer, you know, at that time, because the energy, you've probably seen, there's a piece of video, I think, it's audio. Yeah. It's a, Craig, there's audio of you, Neil, and I, I don't know the bass player's name, forgive me. Neil will tell me when I see him. But it was, huh? Pete Sears. Okay. It was just so raw. Yeah. Deep, deep funk. And you were hitting so powerfully yeah. and so great. It just, it just marked my soul. Yeah. It was that, you know, that energy that I had experienced, uh, you know, in the development of Slime of Family Stone. And then I, everywhere that I went, I kind of took that. I knew that I had to bring that. Whatever the music was, yeah. Because I had an opportunity to go out with like the weather report, like you did too. And you know, Joe and Wayne, I mean, just amazing. You know, I was that was one that was a, a very high uh, point experience uh, musically for me. And even they were just fun to be with and travel with. This was after Sly. Yeah, I went out with them, and it was a totally different experience. And it really filled. It created. A place you know in 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 my life that i didn't even know existed well yeah. think about this boom boom da boom boom da boom boom da boom boom da speak about that go on man oh we just i remember the first time going back um well dougie rouch because you spoke about him he was living with me for a while and so did pete pete sears too when he first came from england and anyway, I had a little studio downstairs and we used to jam all the time. And Dougie goes, hey, this bass player friend of mine, I want to bring him over. He actually plays upright, though. But but I think it, this would be cool. Can I bring his, his name is Miroslav Vitos. Yeah. And so I didn't know, you know, and he came and he brought him over and we, we jammed a bunch of times. He, he just went on for a couple of weeks, you know. And then uh, one night, uh, Miroslav says, hey, um, Joe's looking, we've got a tour coming up. He's looking for a drummer. Would you, would you like to do? Would you like to come out? And I'll tell you the truth, I wasn't familiar with the music yet. I had heard Weather Report. I was hearing a lot of things about it, but I didn't, I hadn't listened to anything yet. And I just accepted because I was, you know, I dug ham and we were jamming some cool stuff and we were having fun. And I remember going to New York, and the first gig was at that A.B. Fisher Hall. I forget the name. When I forget the name of the place in New York, and we we played. A, it was a show with Diodato, and he had two thousand one space Odyssey out. Right? right, okay. And we just got together in his loft, Joe's loft, a couple of days before. I remember I met Hierto uh, for the first time. He had just come with Floor with his wife coming from South America, you know. And um, and we rehearsed, not extensive, and it was just more about, um, you know, he would set up a tune. And so there would be an entrance and an exit. And everything that happened in the middle was that moment. That's right. And you just went for it. That's right. I just, I was, I was like a kid in a candy store. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, and wow. I wasn't even, I used the, uh, I used, I had a big, of five, fives, I think they were called, fiberglass. I had a big rock and roll set, 24-inch basement, you know, four toms, you know, with, 
and they were loud and it wasn't like the jazz set with the twenty <laughs> and the, you know this was like so Daum Romau played percussion, wonderful percussionist, and he had a little jazz set. So there was a lot of times where he'd jump on the set while I'm playing and we would play, we'd weave in and out, you know, or play against each other. And it just was, it worked crazy. It was some, this was some good black market recordings um, of some of those shows. Yes. Well, man, that, that groove in particular, there's a, there's a box set out now where they have the long version of that boom, 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 and they're all just jamming it. It's yeah. a long version they got out. Yeah, it, Greg, you sound great, man. <laughs> you sound just great, man. Thank God. You. Well, I, let's come to now, Greg. Here we are, 2020, September 22nd. I know you had a birthday recently. You're Virgo. Happy uh, birthday. Uh, September 1st. Thank you. Happy birthday to you, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank and you. Uh, yeah, well, you, uh, you, you just had one also. Me? Uh, no, I'm April 23rd. Uh, April. Taurus, Taurus, yeah. Taurus passed, yeah. Yeah, April 23rd. Right. So, Greg, man, anything you want to say about now and going forward for our future, for our listeners, for our fans, people who love you, anything you want to put out in the world at this time, go right ahead. Oh, just give back some of the love that uh, was given to me that I realized during, oh, I guess it was the 80s or when, when computers first came out. There was this guy that started a, a, a fan page. I didn't even know what a computer was yet. And he, it, long story short, he had got a hold of us and kind of, you know, befriended us. And, and he came out to visit and he said, I'm going to bring you a computer. I'm going to show you what this is all about, you know, about internet or, you know, messages or anything. And he got me into it. And then a little fast forward a little bit to where, you know, email and all that stuff. And now people could access you and send you messages. And I started getting all these things. And I never realized the that that gave me more of a of a realization of the impact that the band had and what we did back then in the late sixties, early seventies, than just the success that we had, you know, being on Ed Sullivan show or whatever, or all, all the people cheering at a show, you know, you know that's one thing. But it's when you get a personal note from someone, it's telling you. Greg, you know, you inspired me either to play or you made this time in my life just higher than it was without it. And those kinds of things, it's really, it's touching and it's inspirational. It's inspiration back. And it affected me in a big way to, to you know, get back into it and, and embrace all that again, you know? Yes, Greg. Like probably yes. all, all us drummers i'm sure you know if you've been around long enough you went through the those highs and those lows you know right so right. thanks for the love everyone always oh greg god bless you man <laughs> for some reason on my mind also is to say uh whatever you can say there was a great recording engineer who you worked with named don pulse oh p-u-l-s-e yeah he, he gave me a beautiful award and told me he worked with you and yeah. we don't talk about him too much, but he was the the man making that great sound with you, those drum sounds and all that. Anything you want to say about your sound with Don Pullis from the studio side of things? Yeah, I could, uh, a little ex quick experience on that. And so back in those days, this is when groups first started getting signed and recording. So there was this 
whole challenge, new challenge for all the pro engineers who were used to the studio guys coming in. These were seasoned studio players. And two challenges. That's one. So they had their way and it was, you know, what we were doing was very unorthodox. You know, it wasn't the set standard of what you would do. And then also at that time, I could say that probably Sly was one of the first to mix the drums out in front. Yes. The drums weren't like a background rhythm, just keep time, dude, kind of thing. It's a whole, whole different ballgame. So you had both of those things. And I had no, I didn't have studio chops. I mean, I learned them, but when I first came, so getting with these wonderful engineers, a guy like Don, uh, they kind of went, they kind of realized what they, they came to see the group live first, you know, it was Columbia, Clive had signed us, right? And uh, so they seen, oh, this is different. This is going to be a challenge, but come on, let's bring it. And so we go in the studio, you know, you're kind of learning what you're dealing with, this new medium, and it's a whole different animal, playing live and, and making records of two different things. And I just it was a wonderful experience. College, that was the university I went to and learned a lot and even learned uh, just a, a quick, with that being said, making records. And then once they were, uh, you know, the public is used to them. They want to hear that song. Would you go play live? Sometimes you brought it verbatim as you recorded it. And sometimes you couldn't do that to make the song work. Uh-huh. To make a live performance, you had to change it up, flip it, whatever that might have, you know, it's, there's no set thing of what that meant, but you just needed to feel it and and do that, make that adjustment. And so I learned a lot from, from that whole experience from all that, you know, making records and playing live and then, you know, going from clubs to theaters to big, you know, outdoor, big, huge venues where each one of those was a different challenge to make the songs work, to make the performances work. You know, there's a young girl, I just saw her recently on the YouTube named Sina, S-I-N-A. She plays drums. She's very good. She's a young girl. She's very, very pretty. And she's such a fan that she'll take like Ringo Starr's you know, Beatles stuff and yeah. she'll break it down how these playing different things are for different songs. It'd be lovely to ask Sina to do a thing on you. Oh, and breaking down the different songs, why you chose these different things to play on these different songs. Yeah, and that, all that is is just being conscious of that, what you just said. Just be conscious. Just be considerate of each thing is a, is, is, is a different creation. And you, you know, if you're going to bring, you have to bring what it needs. Yeah. It's telling you what it needs. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ears. Yeah. Listening. Yeah, there's a lot of great young male and female girls, boys playing stuff now, drums, bass. I, I see this little kid playing bass, man. He must have been five years old. It's like, <laughs> dude, you know, <laughs> you know, then playing groove, you know. I mean, just amazing. I there's some great female drummers. Cindy. Yeah, of course. One of your friends, too. That's one right, of, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. She's amazing, you know. Yeah. And young drummers, you know, I've seen four or five years old from different countries. And it's just, it's, it's great music, powerful. Yeah. All these, it's really good, inspiring to see these 
young kids, they're going to, they, those are the ones that are going to change the world. That's right. The adjustments that need to be made, you know? That's right. That's right, Greg. You can see all this stuff all over my drums. I just got the, uh, the EAD, you know, you hear about that? Tell me. EAD. It's just a, a little piece of software hardware and you clip, check this out. It's amazing. Okay. So you clip this onto your bass drum. It's got a stereo configuration microphone inside that. Okay. That's it. Yeah. And here's the piece of, and here's the, the little, you know, the controller. And you just, you turn it on and it sounds like you've been in the studio for about four or five hours and engineered, but working on your sound. It starts yeah. there. <laughs> I'm telling you. And then you got effects. Because the effects and, you know, uh, 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 it's got a trigger on the bass. So you can add trigger to old sampled sounds. It's just amazing. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I've just got it. And I'm, uh, Michael, Michael Shreve and David Garibaldi uh, turned me on. To, did I mention to you about Stick People? You, did, you mentioned privately, but tell, tell all our listeners. Go ahead. So Stick People um, is five drummers from the Bay Area during the musical renaissance of the late 60s, early 70s, that were in iconic groups that are. And so we've gotten together three times a week, an hour and a half each time since the end of February. And there's no script, no agenda. It's, it's not about playing. We're, t- we're talking about our experiences, about you know recording a certain song, touring with the sky, life. Everything and anything. Mm-hmm. And it's just been fabulous. And quite frankly, I, I mentioned early on that, um, dude, we're, this is our therapy, you know, yeah. during these times. Yeah. And it's just been wonderful. And we have guests on now. We're going to have you on hopefully pretty soon. Love to. And just talk. Told, yeah. Like I said, no script, no agenda, no nothing. We're just talking. Okay. Okay. We have a lot of fun. Okay. Well, Greg, I want to thank you again, man. Um, you look wonderful. You're, 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 uh, you're alive as always. And I so appreciate you and so love you. And on behalf of everybody in the world that, that could, 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 could say hello to you at this time. I uh, just want you to really feel our love for you. What you have put down and what you have, and what you do put down uh, is, is, the, is the, the pure fabric of the funk and the life that we know in music. So thank you for that. I appreciate yeah. you. And I thank you too. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Gregory, everybody. We love you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Shop Talk section. This is Mike Dawson, Managing Editor for Modern Drummer. This week, we are going to be taking a look at and listen to the Peisty Sound Formula 602 editions that we reviewed back in the September issue of Modern Drummer. So if you're not familiar with the 602 formula by Peisty, this was the... I don't know if it was the original Peisty line, but it's been around since 1959. It is the first high-end cymbal line that the company put out. Uh, they were made from B20. Uh, so really, this is kind of the classic Peisty sound of the 60s, 70s, before the 2002 series was introduced. So uh, back in 2011, the Formula 602s were reintroduced, and they focused on some of the thinner models, the classic sounds. So then earlier this year, uh, they updated the line. So we got a whole batch of stuff to check out. We have... Um, what do we get? We got some 15-inch sound edge hi-hats, 14 and 15-inch heavy hi-hats, 17 and 19-inch thin crashes, a 20-inch paper thin crash, and then 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20-inch medium crashes. 
16, 18, and 20 inch heavy crashes and a really wild 13 inch heavy bell. So these are designed, I mean, the paper thin obviously fills out the the classic thin sound, uh, but it's a 20 inch, so it's a big crash. But then we have all these heavier models to you know, give you a little bit more punch for the series. So what we're going to do in these demos, I've got, you know, I try to group them by sizes. So the first thing we're going to check out is the 20 inch models. So you'll hear the paper thin, the heavy, and then the medium. If you're watching the video, the paper thin is all the way on the left. The heavy is in the ride symbol position, and then the medium is on the right. Let's check those out. Right, so the 20-inch, it was the most kind of crash-only sound. I felt like the medium, I mean, the, sorry, the paper-thin was the one for me that was just sound like a crash, a big, nice, big crash, kind of classic, thin, glassy, little bit of complexity, real expressive. But the 20 and, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I keep messing it up. The heavy and the medium, to me, just sounded like they could be rides or they could be heavy crashes, which is probably why Peisty only marks these as paper thin, medium, and heavy. They don't put the word crash or ride on any of these. So you kind of can do whatever you want it to do. All right, so let's move down a size. We're going to do 19-inch thin and medium. So the first one is the thin, the second one is the medium, and let's check them out.
thin sounds beautiful. I think I could use that on pretty much any situation. The, you know, the medium I think would be for me. So I need to have a really hard hitting situation for that to work, but still they both sound great. Um, so that's some options. Now let's move on to, we've got the 18. So these are 18 inch medium and an 18 inch heavy. So these are both going to be the heavier models. Um, again, check out how versatile they are as a ride and also as a crash. Here we go. 18 inch medium first, 18 inch heavy second. Let's keep rolling. We've got this 17-inch thin and the 17-inch medium. Spoiler alert, this 17-inch thin to me is textbook perfect crash symbol. So here we go. 17 thin, 17 medium. Now we have the 16s. These are both heavier. So we've got a 16-inch medium and a 16-inch heavy. get to that funky 13 inch heavy bell so this thing is <laughs> it's a beast so let's just check it out 13 inch heavy bell so it's a small symbol with a giant bell you can imagine what it sounds like but let's check it out 13 inch heavy bell
All right, let's shift into hi-hat modes. We're going to go with the 14-inch heavy hi-hats first. Um, these surprised me. I didn't expect them to be as expressive and nuanced because they're called heavies, but I shouldn't be surprised. That's what Pisces known for. So here's the 14-inch heavy Formula 602 hi-hats. Now we've got the big 15-inch heavy hi-hats. Same thing. I was really surprised how expressive and musical these things were. Here they are, the 15-inch Formula 602 heavy hi-hats. All right, then last but not least, we have the 15-inch Sound Edge hi-hats. If you're not aware of what the Sound Edge hi-hats are, the bottom symbol is rippled on the edge, which is to prevent some airlock that can happen if the symbols hit parallel. And it also, uh, you know, kind of brightens up the sound in a way. So let's just check them out. The 15-inch Sound Edge Formula 602 hi-hats. So there you have it, the new Pisces Formula 602 editions. I hope you got something out of this segment. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, whatever you need to do to get this podcast out to the world. And we will see you next week. Have a good one. Thank you, everybody, for watching this week's Modern Drummer Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode exclusively on Podcast One. Until then, stay safe and healthy. And thanks for listening and watching. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.